morning. Boy, I tell you, um, you know, we moved out to Lake Havasu. Gosh, it's been a year now. Oh, my goodness. And we've been online, worshiping, enjoying the worship. But um, God made us to be in relationship with each other. It's just so hard to hug you guys online. You know, I just, it just doesn't work. And when we worship and we sing, you know whose voice I hear? Oh, it's horrible. <laughs> it's just me. It's like, it doesn't sound at all like what I'm hearing come out of my iPad. But here I can sing, and I can kind of sing pretty loud. I don't know if you guys would agree, but nobody, I can't hear myself. <laughs> it's great. I tell you, it is so good. Online is a blessing, but boy, when we use that as our resource to be with the Lord, we miss it. We totally miss it. And it's easy to be lazy, but boy, this is what God created us for, is to be together, to love each other, to be sharpened with each other. You get a, you get a fire going and you take a coal out of the fire and you put it online, and eventually that coal is going to cool off and go out. We need to continue to stay together. So praise the Lord. I love this place. I love y'all. Um, and, and we're still going to try to hang out as much as we possibly can. The good news is we're not too much farther than David and Byron are. So <laughs> I guess if they, can, if they can come into town, maybe we'll figure it out. <laughs> we are going to be in um, John chapter 5. The Gospel of John chapter 5. The, the men's Bible study has been going through John for a long time. It's been a great study. Um, John is a book where Jesus talks a lot about himself. It's all about the deity of Christ and the purpose of what Jesus is here for and why he came. And so we're going to look at this passage. I love this passage. And we're going to start um, going through the first um, nine verses. And then we're going to go from 10 to 24. So we're going to go through half of this book. I won't be back for a while, so it doesn't matter if I go like two or three hours long, so that's good. <laughs> so starting with verse 1, maybe I should get this stuff working too, right? I'm new at this. After these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porticos. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in, was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. So let's stop there for a minute and kind of get a picture of what's going on. Some of you uh, may have kind of newer translations that either has verse 4 in parentheses or maybe there isn't a verse 4 in there. They found in the earlier manuscripts that verse wasn't in the earlier manuscripts. And they think maybe somebody might have added it later to give context to this passage because why are they all laying there? What's the purpose? So apparently these guys, there's, there's these five porticos. Bethesda means house of mercy. And so porticos are porches. So if you can picture this, this pool, 
And then there's these porches around the pool for shade and, and places for these people to go. And it says that there's a multitude of people that are lying around this pool waiting for this angel to come stir the water in order for them to be the first one in. And it says these people were afflicted with all kinds of stuff. They were, they were lame, blind, withered, um, sick. So all of these people are laying around this pool. Now, I, I tried to get a picture of this. I mean, imagine what this is like. Multitudes of people. A lot of them don't get around. I don't know if you've ever been in a crowded place where it's hard to get to, like, the bathroom. Imagine what, what that must be like. I mean, these guys, I don't know if they have people who come around and say, you need to go to the bathroom. I can help you go to the bathroom. It must be a mess. It must just be a complete mess full of people who are hopeless laying there hoping that somehow if the water gets stirred up, they can be the first one to fight themselves into the water. I mean, think about that. Have you ever been to like an event, a concert or something where it's especially general seating? You ever been to one of those? People get there like 16 weeks early. <laughs> you know, and, and when the guy looks out the door, everybody stands up and starts pushing. When I was in one of those, I literally got lifted off the ground and moved forward. There's nothing I could do. And it was a false alarm. The guy was just looking to see how many idiots were out there in the parking lot waiting to get in. And when those doors opened, it was like a madhouse, right? People are pushing and shoving and running and everything to get the front row. Could you imagine the water gets stirred and I'm in the front row and I go, oh, no, you first. And he goes, oh, no, you first, please. Oh, no, you it's like 20 people dive in the water, five porches, right? All these people diving in the water. I, I'm thinking, God, how did you know? I mean, do you have like a photo finish camera that goes, I think the 10th guy over on the left, first toe went in. How does he know? And how many people drown when people are pushing there? I don't know what goes on, but this is the picture that we have of these guys trying to work their way to heaven. I mean, work their way to healing. I mean, imagine how hopeless it must be for a lot of those people that are sitting there, especially if they're like 18 people deep, and they're going, I don't even know why I'm here. This is like hopeless. It's pointless. There's no logical, practical reason for me to be here because there is no way I'm getting from here to here whenever that happens, and I have no idea when it's going to happen, so I can't even prepare myself for it. Do you ever feel like that, where you just feel like you're in a situation and all the logical, practical things that you think you can do to fix it aren't working? Maybe your marriage, maybe your work situation, maybe your finances or some addiction, or maybe an illness, or some relationships where you just think, man, I would love for something to happen, but it's impossible. It's just, it's going to work. I mean, I've tried every practical, logical thing I could think of, and it just isn't working. So here are these people in this situation. And then as we pick it up in verse 5, it says there was a man there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, do you wish to get well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. So here's this guy. We don't know his name. We don't know anything about him. We just know that he's been sick for 38 years. You ever feel like that? You ever feel like you're going through something and nobody knows, nobody recognizes you, nobody cares, nobody knows who you are, nobody cares about what you're going through? It's this guy. And Jesus says, do you want to get, get well? Now, here's the exciting thing. This is a mess. 
Can you guys picture this? This is a mess. This guy is laying there, and he's been sick for 38 years. What a mess. And Jesus enters into his mess. I, I, I want you guys to know this. There is no mess that you are going through or will ever go, go through that Jesus won't enter into your mess. That's good news. Jesus will enter into your mess. See, we go, this is way too messy, God. Sorry. We do that with our house all the time. Nobody can come over. It's way too messy. So Jesus comes in and says, you want to get well? And he says, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water stirred up. See, this guy is doing everything he can think of, and he goes, yeah, that would be great, but there is no way this could happen. Let me tell you, I know from experience, there's no way that this could happen. I mean, isn't he so much like, like you and me? Jesus enters our mess and says, you want to get well? He enters our mess and says, do you want your marriage healed? Do you want your family healed? Do you want your work situation healed? Do you want your relationships healed? Do you want your pride healed? Do you want your anger healed? Do you want your addiction healed? Do you want your finances healed? Do you want your health healed? And when they ask that question, we go, you know what? I've done everything I can to try to do this. We've been doing this for years. I've been married to this guy for 38 years, and he isn't changing. I've tried with my family. I've tried everything I can. It just isn't working. I've gone to uh, things after things after things for my programs and stuff for my addiction. It's not working. I've tried to control my anger. It doesn't work. I've tried to control my It doesn't work. There's no logical, practical way that this could ever happen. I mean, we're pretty good at explaining to God why he can't do things, aren't we? Why he can't help us. You know, the same thing happened in chapter 4. In chapter 4, Jesus was going from Judea to Galilee, and he went through Samaria. Normally, Jews go around Samaria, right? Because Samaritans are bad people. You don't, you don't talk to Samaritans. So Jesus goes through Samaria. You know why? Because he loves Samaritans. So he goes through, and he stops at this well, Jacob's well. He sends his disciples out to go get food. I don't think that was accidental that he did that. So he's sitting here by himself in the middle of the day, and this Samaritan woman walks up to get water. She walks up to get water in the middle of the day when nobody is there because she doesn't want to see anybody. Her life is a mess. It's a relational mess. She's had multiple husbands. She's living in shame. She doesn't want to go around where there's people because the people look at her and the people talk about her and the people snicker and the people make fun of her and the people judge her and the people condemn her and she doesn't want to be around that kind of stuff because she's so shameful, full of shame. And Jesus asked her for some water. Okay, can I have a drink of water? She goes, what are you talking to me for? Do you know who I am? You must have no idea who I am or you wouldn't even talk to me. Jesus goes, I know who you are. He didn't say that, but I know he would have said that to her. At least it's not in the Bible, but I think in the earlier one it probably was. <laughs> and Jesus says this. He goes, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for a drink, and I would give you living water. And this is my new favorite verse. She goes, you can't do that. There's no practical, logical way that you can do that because you have no bucket. I love that. You have no bucket. You know the next time I'm going to go through something that's impossible and that just doesn't work and I know that it can't be fixed, I'm going to think, you have no bucket. 
And Jesus is going, yeah, you're right, because I can fix this without a bucket. What a great trigger. You have no bucket. And you know what happened? Without a bucket, he changed her life. He changed her life. There was no practical, logical way that Jesus could do it. He had no bucket, and yet he did it. And then he used her to change a whole town, a whole community. Boy, it's so freeing to know that even though Jesus has no bucket, he can do amazing things, amen? So then in verse 8, it says, Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. Immediately the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. Now it was a Sabbath on that day. So Jesus tells this guy, so get up and walk. And the guy picks up his, ba- his pallet and walks. There's no logical, practical way that Jesus could do what he did in this guy's life, and yet he did it. See, Jesus has a plan that is way bigger than we could ever imagine. It says here that it was on the Sabbath. There's a reason that he did it on the Sabbath. But here's the interesting thing about this whole process. As Jesus walked in, there's a multitude of people. How did he pick out this guy? I mean, why this guy? Where was this guy? Was he in the front? Was he in the back? Was he in the middle? Where was he? I don't know, but he picked out this guy. And I'm sure this guy's glad he did. But he picks out this guy, and he says, get up and pick up your pal and go. And I love this because was it this guy's faith that healed him? This guy doesn't even know who he is. And he goes, you want to get well? He goes, yeah, that would be awesome, but it isn't going to happen, dude. Get a clue. I've been doing this for 38 years. It's not happening. He didn't even know who he was. Jesus didn't go, well, if you just have enough faith, if you just believe, do you know who I am? I'm Jesus. If you no. He didn't go, hey, if you just send me some seed money to JesusChristHeals.com, <laughs> everything will be great. See, he expected nothing from Jesus. There's no logical way that this stranger could do what needed to be done in his life. And yet Jesus says, get up. Pick up your pallet and walk. And apparently nobody else noticed because the passage doesn't say that he healed anybody else. And I tell you, if I'm laying next to this guy and I'm, I'm miserable and I'm sick, and I'm in a bad mess, and I see this guy walk over, and I don't know if he stood there and talked to him, did he bend over and talk to him? I don't know what he did, but what I do know is this guy got up and left. Now, if I'm sitting here and I go, hey, hey, dude, whoa, 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 what did you do? Can I have a piece of that, please? That's awesome. What did you tell that guy? I'm up for that. But nobody did. It seemed like these guys are so busy watching for the stirring of the water that they totally missed Jesus when Jesus came into their mess. I mean, how often do we figure out how we want to fix our mess and Jesus enters into our mess and we're not looking for him? We're not watching for Jesus. Are you watching for Jesus? In the middle of your mess, are you watching for Jesus to come in and to do a work? See, he walked right into the mess 
and then a miracle thing. And see, so often we see a mess and we can't see any logical, practical solution. Jesus sees our mess and he sees an eternal option. He sees a way that, that eternity is going to be impacted by the process, the place, the circumstances that we find ourselves. And I don't want to minimize what people are going through. I mean, all of us at some point in time are involved in a mess, and sometimes it looks like there is no practical solution to it. And sometimes from an earthly point of view, there might not be. But can we allow Jesus to help us broaden our perspective a little bit and see things through an eternal lens instead of an earthly lens? So often, I think when we come to God, we come to talk to God. We don't come to talk with God. See, we're more concerned about telling him what we want him to hear than finding out what he wants us to know. Amen? Don't get mad at me because the Bible is true. So often we pray what we want, not what God wants. And can we watch for him wanting what he wants and learning what he wants. I mean, there is a guy that was a pretty powerful person who came and prayed to God three times because he healed people on the Sabbath and he said he was equal to God and the Jews didn't like that. And so they were going to crucify him and he knew they were going to crucify him. And he came to God and he said, my father, Jesus prayed in the garden. My father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. His prayer was so intense. He wanted not to do this so desperately that he was bleeding blood. God, if there's any way, if there's a plan B, I'll take it. Or C or D or E, just not plan A. And yet after he prays, he says, My father, if this cup cannot pass away unless I drink from it, then your will be done. See, Jesus knew that the eternal purpose of what God was going to do through him was way bigger than his earthly purpose of what he had liked to do from a comfort point of view. It's a very difficult thing for us, isn't it, to have an eternal purpose. Paul comes to God and three times again and says, take this thorn from me, please. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul, who, who, who did miraculous things all the time. In Ephesus, as he walked through, they would take handkerchiefs or aprons that he had on his body and take it to somebody and it would heal them. And he asked God three times, take this thorn from me. And God says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. Tell me how that logically makes sense. Tell me how that's practical. But it's eternal. See, God had an eternal plan for Paul and for Jesus, it's way bigger than you and me. It's God's eternal. His plan is eternal. We need to trust him and really ask him to give us an eternal perspective so that we can see when we're in our mess that he's in control and he knows what he's doing. See, when we come to Christ, basically what we do when we come to Christ is say, I am yours and I want to fit into your eternal plan. I submit myself to your eternal plan. Whatever it is, I'm going to trust that you know way more than I know. That you love me enough to do what's right for me in the eternal perspective. See, so often, we want him to fit into our earthly plan, don't we? 
I mean, it's way better if God will just, just listen. Listen, God, here's the plan. And your plan is so messed up that if you just let me fix a few things, life would be way better down here. And when we begin to really understand that, that his plan is good and his plan is eternal, and somehow the circumstances that we're in will, will be used for eternal purposes. It's a tough thing to do, but boy, when we can see that and when we can allow God to be the one who's in control, it's huge. And when we can, then sometimes after the fact, we see how he used what we went through to bless somebody else. I was talking to a guy earlier this week called me up and says, you know, I got a call from a friend and, and, you know, all the stuff I went through, you know, 10 years ago and all that stuff. Well, he's going through it now. And he knows that I went through it and I'm doing way better now. And he wants to know what happened and he wants me to help him get there. You know, God knows. He's more concerned about people coming into his kingdom than you and I being comfortable, peaceful, and in the great, you know, all-American dream. So let's be watching for Jesus. Let's continue. Verse 10. We're going to finish 10 to 24 now. Wrap this thing up. You guys will be out early. I'm going to set a precedent for Pastor Doug. (laughs) So the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, it is a Sabbath. It's not permissible for you to carry your pallet. But he answered them, he who made me well was the one who said to me, pick up your pallet and walk. They asked him, who's the man who said to you, pick up your pallet and walk? And the man who was healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Isn't that amazing? Just like I said, he didn't even know, the, he, didn't, he had no idea who Jesus was and Jesus healed him. And nobody else even noticed him and he slipped away. He heals this guy in the middle of a mess and nobody notices it. How often does he do a work in the middle of a mess and we don't even notice it because we're not looking for it? And we totally miss what he's doing because it might be a small thing. And we're looking for a big thing. And incidentally, if you listen to these guys on TV that says Jesus wants everybody healed, he walked into a mess and he healed one guy. So if that theology is correct, Jesus should have come in, stood at the five porticles, say, everybody, you're healed. I don't know why he didn't do it. I, I'm, I don't know if that's the right theology. I think, I, think, I think God does what God does, how God wants to do it, and we like to make him into what we want him to be. So here's this guy. He has no idea what happened. So here's the thing. When we come to Christ, there are some implications that happen when we, we come to Christ. You know, this abundant life that we like to paint the picture of is that when you come to Christ, you're going to have peace and everything's going to be smooth and there aren't going to be any problems and all the things you're going through are just going to become like this smooth road and you're going to be on your boat on glass. There'll never be any chop. There'll never be any wind. Man, it's going to be awesome. Well, apparently for this guy, he didn't get that. So here's the deal. Jesus comes in through the sheep gate. The sheep gate is where they bring the sacrificial lamb. They, they wash it, clean it, and then they bring it and kill it. Okay? For the feast. So Jesus, the Lamb of God, comes through the sheep gate. Why did he come through the sheep gate? As the Lamb of God. What did the Lamb of God come for? To be sacrificed for you and for me. And so Jesus, as he was healing this guy, did it on the Sabbath for a reason. 
His plan was eternal. He had a purpose for this. So he comes on the Sabbath, and he heals this guy. This guy is on cloud nine. This is unbelievable. 38 years, yes! And he comes into the temple, and the first thing the Jews go is, who did that? What are you carrying your pallet for? It wasn't like, man, weren't you the guy that was 38 years late? Are you, the, are you that? No, it's like, why are you carrying your pallet? Do you know what this day is? Do you know this is a Sabbath? What are you thinking? So here's this guy that was excited at one moment. The next moment he's going, oh, my goodness, what's going to happen? Are they going to kick me out of the temple, or am I, I going to get rejected by everybody? I mean, it, there's implications. Because Jesus has called him to a different lifestyle than the lifestyle of those around him. And now he's doing something on the Sabbath. And by the, by the way, God gave the Jews the law, the Israelites the law. Okay, first five books. And then here's what happened. The rulers, the Jews, the Jewish leaders made rules on how to apply the law. Then they made rules on how to apply the rules on how to apply the law. Then they made rules on how to apply the 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 law. Then they made rules on how to apply the rules on how to apply the rules on how to apply the law. And by the time they get to this point, they had so many rules they forgot what the law was. And so this guy's carrying his pallet on the Sabbath, which if you read the first five books, there's nothing that says you can't carry a pallet on the Sabbath. In fact, Jesus says, my God is working until now, we're going to read this a little bit later, on the Sabbath. So Jesus healed this guy on the Sabbath for really one key purpose is he wanted to be crucified. So he's beginning to write his own death sentence because the Jews are going to get all fired up about this because this guy came in and uh, picked up his pallet on the Sabbath and things got really um, uncomfortable him for him. It's really implications for our relationship with Christ. Because he's eternal, and sometimes the things that he does are for eternal purposes, which our, our earthly purposes um, may be impacted by. And I think, you know, as we, as we think about this as a church, you know, we, churches have rules, don't they? Churches kind of have laws, and then we've made up rules to apply the laws and rules to apply. I mean, there are some, like, like how do you dress? I mean, you may know, well, there's no rule about that. Well, have somebody come in that doesn't dress the way you think they should dress. And then what do you do? Your mind gets a little judgmental, gets a little critical, right? So this new person just comes to Christ and doesn't know that you're supposed to wear blue jeans and a blue shirt, and then he comes in with flip-flops and shorts <laughs> and goes, oh. And we're all looking at him or something like that. How about, um, you know, where to sit? You go, we don't have any rules here on where to sit until I sit in your seat. You know, and you won't say anything, but you'll look at me like, what are you in my seat for? And you'll sit someplace else, but you'll grumble through the whole service. <laughs> right? How about the style of music? It's too loud, it's too short. See, to me, I, I try to clap. If, if Terry isn't clapping, I'm lost. <laughs> when she stops clapping, if you heard somebody that was way out of beat, <laughs> I just stop. I'm smart enough to know. How about the length of service? Do we have a rule about that, huh? How about the length of a sermon? Come on, Dougie. I turned around and looked, and you're like 14 minutes over. How about which Bible to use? How about how to do communion? Don't we have little rules that we have as churches? And isn't it a sad thing when churches have rules and somebody comes to Christ and they're so excited and all of a sudden they hit conflict because they come into a bunch of people that are supposed to love them and instead of loving them, we're too busy judging them because they don't fit in. That ought not to be. 
And praise God, we're not a lot like that. I made kind of, kind of a joke about it, but we do need to be conscious of that. Because these rules that the Jews established were a burden on the people. And Jesus specifically was coming against this and creating an environment where the Jews were going to ultimately crucify him because he was going to make life more and more and more uncomfortable for them. Because that was his eternal purpose. Verse 14, this is good news. Afterwards, so this guy's going through all this stuff. He's going, what the heck happened? Why are these guys hassling me? So Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. Here's a cool thing about it. When something is happening and we're feeling conflict or we're feeling like because we're a Christian, we're going through things, Jesus doesn't just leave us hanging. He will come back to us and talk to us about it. And so he comes back to this guy and he says, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. Now, I'm not a scholar, so I read that and I go, huh. But I have, I have like friends who have been pastors like for 40 years and we, we kind of hung out one weekend in Palm Springs. And so I thought, this is a great time to ask these guys. So I asked the first guy, I go, so what does this mean? He goes, huh, I don't know. Oh, <laughs> thank you, thank you. So we talked about this, and, and, I, and I think if we look at John 9, it helps us understand this, because in John 9, there was a man born blind, and the disciples asked him, he says, well, who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus responded to them, he says, neither, but it was so that the work of God may be, may be displayed in him. And I think this guy was, was a, a process of the eternal plan that God had in store. And Jesus was saying to this guy, he says, look, and now you've seen me and you know me and you were born in sin, but I'm coming to conquer sin and death. So no longer live in the sin that you were born in, but live in me because it's much worse to die in sin than it is to live in sickness. It's much, it's much worse to die in sin than just to live in a healed body. If you don't, if you don't allow my grace to bring forgiveness to you, that's way worse than if you were just laying here for the rest of your life sick. Don't let man sway you from what you know to be true. And whether this guy's sickness was self-inflicted or natural, whether it's something out of his control, I don't think it really makes any difference because Jesus came and impacted his life in a powerful way. Jesus came into his mess and healed his mess. And I think it's the same thing with us. It doesn't matter if the stuff that we're going through is self-inflicted or not. If our finances are the way they are because we like credit cards and we want something now and it doesn't matter because we've got this magic little card and all we have to do is tap it and we can get whatever we want and then all of a sudden at the end of the month we go, oh my goodness, what happened? There must be a mistake. How, do I, how could I owe this much money? And then we pay the minimum amount, right? And then it gets bigger. And then we pay the minimum amount, it gets bigger. And we, t- we do that and then we can't make the payment and then all of a sudden it goes from 18 to 37. And now we're in trouble. Well, that's self-inflicted. But you know, Jesus will enter that mess. You may not like the solution, but he'll enter the mess. You know, it could be that we have marriages that are struggling because we just won't humble ourselves because I'm more concerned about being right than being a husband that loves my wife like Christ loves the church. I'm more interested about being right than I'm about submitting to my husband. I don't even want to hear about this, Jesus. Don't come to me and talk to me how to fix my marriage because I don't like your solution. I mean, some of us could have health problems because we just don't want to eat right. (laughs) It's like, huh. 
But whether it is or not, it doesn't matter. Jesus will enter the mess that we have, whether it's self-inflicted or whether it's not self-inflicted. He's going to come into our mess, and he's going to do a work that's an eternal work. I think that's the key to understanding this, is that he will come and he will do an eternal work. Because as he, as he goes through from here forward, and I believe this guy that he healed is now following him, listening to everything Jesus has to say. So starting at verse 15, we'll go through the end of the chapter. The man went away, or not the chapter, to 24. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. Oh, I finally figured out who it was. It was Jesus. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Eternal purpose. But he answered them, my father is working until now, and I myself am working. So Jesus goes, I don't know what your deal is about the Sabbath, but God's working on the Sabbath. Have you noticed whether or not the sun came up this morning? Did you notice that gravity just ended, and all of a sudden people are floating all over the place? God is working on the Sabbath, and so am I. They didn't like that answer. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but was also calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. Jesus had an eternal purpose for what he's doing through this process. And praise God that we fit into his eternal purpose. And if we'll figure out that it's his purpose we fit into, not our purpose that he fits into, we will love life much more. Amen. Thank you. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing, and the Father will show him greater works than these, so that you will marvel. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, and I'm sure this guy who was healed is listening very careful to this. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Jesus is very clear about who he is and what his purpose is. And I just want to encourage those of you that may be going through stuff. Jesus really loves you. He loves you. He hasn't forsaken you. He, he died for you. He died for you so that you could have eternal life and so that you could fit into his eternal purpose. So keep watching for him. Keep watching for what he wants to do in and through you in the midst of your mess how he wants to lead you through that. Keep close to him and trust him. Trust him. His purposes are eternal. And we really need to trust what he's doing. It doesn't make sense. It's not logical a lot of times. But he's going to use us in whatever circumstances we find ourselves. We can be a light in the midst of those circumstances in a powerful way.
I mean, he specifically healed this guy on the Sabbath because he knew he would stir things up. And incidentally, the, the guy that was born blind that he healed on the Sabbath, and they got just as mad for that too. Weren't you blind? How could you be seeing? What, he did that on the Sabbath? See, Jesus is working now. His father's working now. It's not the rules and the burdens that, that are placed upon people by people. But if we understand when Jesus says, my burden is light, my load is light, it's an eternal thing. He has a purpose. And when we know that he has a purpose, it makes the, the, the mess less messy. It allows us to endure it because we can trust him. We go, I don't get it, I don't like it, but I trust you. And when we can say that truly and say, I know your plan is better than my plan and I don't get it because this would not be my plan, our burden can be light because we can let him carry it. So often that our eyes are so focused on the material world, on what we can see and feel and touch and handle and understand and logically figure out that we miss the eternal stuff. And I think so much, so often we're in the middle of the mess and we're so busy looking at what we think the solution be, should be that we totally miss Jesus. And we, we could be in here on a Sunday morning and Jesus comes in and says, you want to be well? And we don't even get it. We go, of course, but that didn't work. And then, then something happens. You know, Pastor Doug shares something or maybe you hear something on the radio. Or there's ways that he will communicate with you to help you through your mess if you're watching for him, if you're looking for him. Come to his word and ask him, Lord, help me with my mess. Jesus went away alone by himself to be alone with the Father. So should we. Get rid of all the clutter, get rid of all the noise, and just look for Jesus. Watch for him. He will come. He will come into your mess. And when you come to him, have a conversation. Listen. Listen. spend so much time telling him what he should do. He, no, he kind of knows what he needs to do. And I think, you know, the Bible tells us to come and pray because we need to come and, and, and talk to him and share our heart with him. And, and sharing our burdens is a powerful thing. That's why it's so important for us to come together because as we share with each other, there's a freedom in that. And he wants us to, but more for the intimacy than for us to be able to tell him what to do. He has a great life for us. We just need to go, not my will, but thy will be done. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your grace, for your love. Jesus, thank you that you're... Oh. Yeah, thank you, Siri. So that's how I got my message, by the way. Lord, thanks for being our God. And thanks so much that your plan is perfect and that we can fit into a perfect plan. So Lord, those that um, need comforting, I pray this morning that you comfort them. Lord, in the mess that they're in, that you'll do a miraculous work to 
to free their heart up to trust you and to rest in you. And Lord, that you'll lead them to the path of um, strength, emotionally, spiritually, if necessary, physically, financially, relationally. Because, Father, we know that you love us, that you care about us, you haven't forsaken us, and that you're going to do a miracle through us as we fit into your plan. And we're going to rejoice in that, Lord, and trust you. And we just pray together in Jesus' name. Amen.